We're open for business live. Good morning, it's just after nine o'clock on Friday the 27th of February 2015. My name's Jamie Veach, I'm your presenter for the next hour for Sheffield Live's business and social enterprise show, Business Live. We are broadcasting live on 93.2 FM and through our internet live stream from sheffieldlive.org and the show will also be available as a podcast later from our website. In today's show, we have an interview with Oliver Coppard, who's standing as the Labour Party candidate in the Sheffield Hallam constituency. The interview is the third of a series of interviews we've been doing with prospective members of Parliament, looking at the person behind the politics and asking about what policies a number of prospective MPs might like to see happen to support social enterprises and businesses. On the 6th of February, the Conservative Party candidate Ian Walker was on the show, and on the 13th of February, the Green Party candidate Peter Garbutt joined me. You can still access the podcast of those interviews from the Sheffield Live website, sheffieldlive.org, go to radio shows and click on Business Live. So turning now to our first guest, Oliver Coppard, standing as a Labour Party candidate in the Sheffield Hallam constituency. Oliver, good morning. Thanks good morning. very much for joining me no, today. Thanks for inviting me. So you're a native Sheffielder, Oliver. I am indeed, yes. You, you were born, born in the constituency in, in which you're standing and uh, went to school there. Tell me about your education experience first. Uh, well, so I went. To, well, I actually went to Portercroft Primary School um, and then we moved house and I went up to Dobcroft. Um, which has been in the news recently, and um, and then up to Silverdale, and then uh, through a sort of via Norton College, then to High Stores for my levels. So yeah, local schools throughout. And uh, you, you you swam at uh, Sheffield Swimming Pool, King Edwards. I did, yes, indeed. Learned to swim at, at, <laughs> at uh, King Edwards Pool, yeah. And uh, and these schools have, um, have have seen significant changes in development recently. Um, high stores, um, I know, uh, has, has had significant investment and and so on. And. Uh, your experience in in schools before that what, you know, what was your education experience here what did you what did you gain most from from your education um well i gained a lot hopefully <laughs> um certainly at uh, at schools in sheffield but uh, i mean it was very it was a very mixed experience given that you know moving from portercroft um, which is a very diverse school up to um up to dobcroft which was le- much less um diverse it was a very interesting experience um silverdale at that point when i went there was was one of the best schools in the country i don't think that was anything to do with me obviously but uh, but certainly was a very good school um but the infrastructure itself the actual buildings in which we were learning was was awful so um i remember day having days off um and the school having to be closed because the roof was falling in um and now I think if you go up to Silverdale and High Stores, um, they're fantastic, incredible facilities, you know, business parks. Um, and I think that's been a dramatic change and signals um, uh, something quite important to the kids that go there. And your, your experience of school after that, what did you go on to do? Um, so, well, I, I didn't intend to go to university, so I actually took time out from education and um, got a job in a bar. Um, which I thought was the uh, was the best way forward at that time. Um, in Sheffield. In Sheffield, yeah, it was a, it was a bar on the uh, Valley's Entertainment. Um, it was a it was a bartender out there, um, which was a fairly short lived career, shall we say? Um, didn't last too long, uh, partly because I couldn't ever remember the the recipes for the cocktails, so I kept on giving people the wrong drinks. Um, and then uh, decided to go travelling, 
um, as you do when you're 18 years old and you don't quite know what to do with yourself. Um, but before I went um, went away, decided to apply to university because actually I decided it was um, something that I wanted to do. Um, and so I went off travelling um, and by the time I came back, had a place at the University of Leeds uh, to study politics and parliamentary studies. And where did you travel when you went off? Um, well, I've got family in New Zealand, so um, went to see some family, um, travel around New Zealand for a while, living in hostels, etc. Um, and then spent some time in, in Australia with some friends of mine who were out there at the time um, in Sydney. Were you working whilst travelling? Yeah, I was. I mean, I worked, um, again, in bars and, and restaurants, you know, being a waiter, anything I could do, really. Um, not making cocktails? No, not making cocktails. Not No, people had the good sense not to employ me to make cocktails out um, out in Australia. But, uh, yeah, I worked, uh, worked out there in a number of jobs, just trying to sort of make money whilst I, whilst I was out there to, to keep my experience going, really. So you then returned and you went to university in Leeds. And as you mentioned, you perhaps change your mind in terms of university and, and your choice of, of going on to higher education. Mm. Um, and how did you find Leeds compared to Sheffield, having having grown up here and, and going to Leeds to, to university? What did you notice? Um, I love Leeds, I have to say. Um, I think Leeds is a fantastic city. Um, and I was very pleased to spend uh, four years of my life studying Leeds. Um, some very fond memories and still go back there when I can. Um, I think it's noticeable um, the investment that has gone into Leeds and the uh, and and the extent that, that has gone into sort of redevelopment of the town centre in particular. And I and I think we have a long way to go in Sheffield with the the city centre, obviously. Um, uh, but also the uh, the dynamism of that community that live in and around Leeds. And I think that has a lot to do with the two universities um, and the people that stay on there. Um, their economy is bigger than ours in Sheffield, um, so there is more opportunity for the graduates. That they create in Leeds to stay on in Leeds um, get jobs and grow particularly in the financial sector and I think that is um, a virtuous circle that they have created and it's noticeable. It is a virtuous circle probably I mean what else do you think has caused Sheffield to become perhaps a uh, a little bit of a poor relation to Leeds but also some people would say to Nottingham and to Manchester what other reasons? I mean, I don't. I have to say, I don't think it's a it's a purely sort of uh, black and white issue. I think Sheffield's got some great things going for it, clearly, um, and certainly has developed and grown significantly. There's been some um, significant investments in Sheffield, um, and that's been great. Particularly, our sort of cultural scene in Sheffield is is I think fantastic. Um, some of the festivals that we hold in Sheffield now um, uh, are great. Just you know, the recent announcements about tram lines and, and the headline acts, etc., really really good. Um, um, but I think that it's, it's very clear that the difference in investment that has gone into places like Manchester, places like Leeds, um, and you see that coming through. I mean, you know, recently we have seen real cuts, real real cuts to Sheffield Council's budget, um, European funding coming into our region. Um, uh, but broadly across the north, I think we suffer from that, um, and Sheffield almost most of all. Um, if you look at the amount of money that goes into London, particularly around things like transport and infrastructure, versus the amount of money that goes into Sheffield and the north of England, well, Yorkshire in particular, um, there's a clear disparity. And yet then people say, oh, well, Yorkshire's the poor relation and London is an economic powerhouse. Well, quite frankly, if you spend that amount of money on an area, on a very sort of specific area, then you're going to see significant gains, significant economic growth. Um, so we need more support. We've, we've seen research from organisations um, demonstrating the uh, multiples of 
investment in transport in particular um, sure. in the southeast compared with the rest of the country in, mm. indeed so you, you you went to university in leeds and uh, completed your degree there um now then you've you've moved into the world of work as as we all do and comes to us all in the end right? it does indeed it <laughs> does indeed Although perhaps the, the world of travelling to Australia and, and not making cocktails might 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 uh, might be a call as well. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but uh, in terms of your your career, you've worked for a think tank and you've been working in the ex coal mining communities of the Dern Valley. Tell me a little bit about about what you've been doing then post university. Um, so after university, I actually went into sort of well I, uh, throughout university, I was working on events management. So um, I was one of those people who sort of hand out yogurts on on street corners at train stations and things like that um and then sort of manage groups of people um across europe actually um which was really fun but not particularly the sort of career that i wanted so um headed down to london um because i couldn't find a job that suited me up here um which i think is a quite a common problem actually um for graduates so moved down to london and actually started working uh, briefly in a, a real estate investment company so worked for a company called british land who own meadow hall um, own swathes of um uh, of the city of london um but what was your role there? I was a trainee company secretary. So I was one of the people that does the um, the, the financial compliance within the FTSE 100, etc., all that sort of stuff, um, which was a difficult job for me. I, I, I quite quickly realised that actually going into work every day with the sole aim of making or protecting other people's money was not really the job that I wanted. I think it's an incredibly important job um, and I'm incredibly supportive of anybody um, that wants to create wealth in our country and uh, develop and grow our economy in the right way. Um, but it wasn't for me. Uh, so I left that job um, and went to work, as you say, in a think tank, um, advising MPs of all stripes right across the political spectrum um, on design and innovation policy, working with organisations like the Design Council. Um, and did that for a few years before moving back up north. Which think tank was that? Um, so it's called Policy Connect, um, and it works cross, on a cross-party basis. Not for, it's a not-for-profit, mm. um, and um, they work with MPs, peers, um, and organisations and businesses in order to support better policy making. And it's quite interesting, actually, looking at the debate that we've had over the past couple of weeks um, about second jobs for MPs, and the argument of some MPs being that in order to get a sort of wide range of experience or understanding of the business world, they need to be paid huge sums of money by those businesses. And that's simply the only way to get that experience or have that dialogue. Um, and organisations like Policy Connect that I worked for quite clearly show that actually there are other ways of getting experience in the world of business, understanding the needs of business and having that dialogue and that debate with the business community. Um, so I think the argument that some of those MPs make that just so happens to be um, pocketing fairly large amounts of cash um, is something of a red herring, frankly. Quite, indeed. And I'm sure many listeners would would, would have views on MPs I'm and sure. second jobs. So Policy Connect for a few years there and then move back here, move back back up north. So what was the, uh, what was the reason for the move? Uh, friends and family and, you know, wanting to be back in Sheffield, actually. It, 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 I, London's great. London's a fantastic city, an absolutely fantastic city. And it's a brilliant place to live. 
I think either if you have a significant amount of money or a significant amount of time. Um, I think London is quite a difficult place to live if you don't have one of those two things. Um, and I didn't really have either. So um, so moved back up to Sheffield because of the quality of life, because my friends and family are still here, um, because Sheffield is the place that I want to live, really, and want to sort of build my future. So, yeah, moved back after two, three years down in London. And when, when you talk about quality of life, and we hear that from lots of people who've spent time in, in London and have been able to move back to, to Sheffield... For you, what what does quality of life mean in terms of you know what, what do you enjoy doing in Sheffield that uh, that you define as quality of life? I mean, the natural environment is clearly a big big element. Um, I think of what most people would see as the benefits of living in Sheffield. Um, you know, being on the edge of the Peak District, two thirds of the Sheffield Hallam constituency, actually, sorry, a third of the Sheffield Hallam constituency is in the Peak District. So, you know, significant amounts of you know the most beautiful countryside in our country. Um, I enjoy cycling, so getting out into the peaks whenever I can. Although time's been fairly limited lately, um, but getting out into the peaks for a ride whenever I can. And, you know, seeing friends and family. I don't, you know, nothing, nothing particularly extravagant. I quite enjoy photography. Um, so I'd be interested in what your next guest has to say um, and again going out into the country on that for, for photographs um, uh, you know but popping down the pub as well <laughs> I don't think uh, anything particularly unusual and so you move back for for those reasons now the, the role that you move back into the work that you started doing when you came up here I've talked about working in uh, Dern Valley tell, tell listeners about that so I manage something um, in my day job I manage something called the Dern Valley Ecovision now the Dern Valley Ecovision is a project that was set up by three local authorities in South Yorkshire Barnsley, Rotherham and Doncaster um, and was set up in order to try and transform the Dern Valley uh, into the lowest carbon community of its type in the country that's our strap line uh, and the Dern was at one point the most polluted place in Western Europe, um, largely as, as a result of the coal mining heritage and the industry. Um, and when that closed down, or was closed down, um, in the 1980s mainly, um, it, it left a legacy of decline, both environmentally and socially. Now, a lot of the work that went into the Dern and the money that went into the Dern um, in the 1990s and early 2000s was focused on actually the environmental reclamation. So a lot of work went into making the environment a lot nicer. And I think actually if you drive down the Dern Valley Park way now you wouldn't necessarily know um, that it were uh, that it was at one point the biggest coal mining seam in in South Yorkshire and yet um, the social aspect of that that um, decline in the 1980s and 90s didn't have the same amount of money or focus going into it in, in lots of ways and the EcoVision is a plan a project that is designed to try and make the Dern or grow the pride and prosperity of the Dern and give it that sense of community and identity that it once had through coal mining but do that on the basis of its environmental and ecological and low-carbon vision instead. So in the lifetime of that project so far, it's probably easy to see and to notice those environmental reclamation and regeneration uh, achievements. The social achievements in terms of better quality of life for people, better life chances... How are you measuring those? What, have, what has the project achieved so far? What are you most proud of? Yeah, so I think one of the, one of the interesting things actually is, is that um, to a certain extent, the environmental aspects are easier 
you know, if you at least certainly if you have the money um, going into an area, the environmental aspects of, of reclaiming a landscape, reclaiming a place, a community, are relatively straightforward. You you know, you can you can improve the environmental conditions. You can plant more trees. We we have um, nature improvement area status, one of only twelve places in the country to have that status, um, awarded by DEFRA in the Durham Valley, which is a fantastic achievement. RSPB Old Moor, which I'm sure a lot of your visitors will have, uh, your listeners will have visited, um, which is one of the best RSPB sites um, in the country. Certainly, the visitor numbers are amazing. So that kind of work of reclaiming the environment is is relatively straightforward. I say that advisedly, but relatively straightforward. A lot of work and a lot of money went into making that happen. But I think the benefits have been clear to see. The social aspects, the community aspects, um, are much longer term, much uh, much more difficult, much more complex, um, and require a lot more funding, a lot more support, and a, a much more longer term vision. And I think, that, to their credit, the local authorities have seen that and understood that and have backed it. Part of the reason why the EcoVision um, is still going at a time of financial retrenchment in local government is because the local authorities have understood that and the importance of projects like the EcoVision. So when you ask me what have we done, what have we achieved, while well, working with the local communities, things like um, we, we have the biggest eco-schools programme in the country, so working across three local authority areas, um, 46 schools all signed up to the eco-schools programme, which helps to deliver education around the environmental benefits um, of low carbon and you know switching the lights off everything right through to um, you know solar panels and solar PV those sorts of things um, so that's been fantastic and a real achievement um, equally actually working with organisations like Sheffield Renewables out in the Durham Valley to put solar panels on the roofs of schools community buildings we've started a, a social enterprise out in the Durham Valley which I'm really proud of um, uh, the Durham Valley Community Energy Company um, and we are working to try and revamp the Durham's local community energy um, in order to make us a much more renewable energy friendly uh, place and bring those benefits not just the benefits of low carbon and cheaper electricity and energy um, but the benefits financially to that community back into the local area too so you obviously have direct experience of social enterprise as well as of, of, of business we talked about earlier does the policy framework as we currently have it in the uk support social enterprises adequately does the policy framework across the eu support social enterprises adequately um, I mean, that's a difficult question because it works differently for different organisations and different organisations will take advantage in different ways of the of the frameworks that are available. Certainly in my experience, um, there are challenges to being a social enterprise or establishing a social enterprise, um, particularly at the beginning of the life of a social enterprise, getting the credibility, the support, the money in place is, is not the easiest thing. <laughs> and I think probably people would, would understand that. Um, so I think there could be more done to support sort of um, start-up social enterprises and, and offer more help and support there. We were really lucky, actually, in that we got a small amount, albeit a small amount of money, um, from the Cabinet Office to work with Sheffield Renewables, which allowed us to kick-start. So I would give credit, actually, to the Cabinet Office for some of that work. I don't think it's been enough, um, but certainly I would give them credit for the things that they have done. Um, and that allowed us to develop and grow using the expertise of Sheffield Renewables and bring that out into the Durham Valley. Um, now, working with them has allowed us to sort of 
avoid a lot of the pitfalls that I think they went through quite, you know, they're quite open about that. There's a lot of the pitfalls they went through right from the off, learning and growing as a new enterprise themselves. And we managed to avoid those mistakes because we just learned from their experiences. Now, I think we could do more in terms of peer-to-peer um, relationships between social enterprises and building more networks around social enterprises in local communities and local areas. In South Yorkshire, I think in the Sheffield City region, I certainly think we there has been a, a deficit in terms of the relationships that have been supported by um, local authorities, the city region itself, in getting those relationships between the social enterprises and figuring out how they can work together for the benefit of everyone who lives here. Well, in- interesting in terms of talking about relationships there and uh, social enterprises, uh, of course, are income generating and self-sustaining in terms of earning income or earning the majority of their income they may well bid for and secure grants and, and funding but uh, the, the whole idea being sustainability and being able to secure contracts start of the show today we talked about uh, a social enterprise uk open data movement in terms of demonstrating procurement ineffective if effectively uh, and which local authorities and central governments are contracting with social enterprises um, I wonder whether you think, from your own experience, whether local authorities and other public sector organisations actually have a framework that effectively bars many social enterprises from bidding for contracts, as some people have said on this show, or whether they are fully supportive and signed up, thanks to things like the Social Value Act, in terms of contracting with social enterprises? Yeah, so the Social Value Act um, says that local authorities have a duty to consult um, with uh, with social enterprises, which frankly isn't good enough. Um, What the Labour Party have said is we will put in place a system whereby um, contracts are reserved for social enterprises. So social enterprises will have a set number, a certain number of of, uh, of contracts through local authorities that are reserved for their work um, and I think that's a much better approach um, and certainly one that will support more social enterprise within local authority thinking um, I, I, I have to say I think the idea of um, publishing the data is a good idea, that openness is certainly a good idea both in terms of just the general sense of let's be as open as we can about what's going on but also in terms of the nudge that it provides for businesses social enterprises and local authorities in, you know, in terms of a league table making sure that they're sort of trying to rise up that league table but also so that social enterprises can understand where the best opportunities are. I do think that's a that's a decent enough idea. Um, but it's not just about the frameworks that are in place, it's about the money that's available. So certainly in South Yorkshire, we've just recently yesterday, um, or the day before, sorry, had it announced um, a significant cut to our EU funding. So previously under the last Labour government, South Yorkshire received around £350 million in terms of our financial settlement from the EU. Um, that's directed through government. So government make that decision and they make that decision every seven years we got slightly more money than other places in South Yorkshire previously because we're a poorer place a poorer region and have a lower GDP per head now what this government has done is cut our money by half so we now have around 175 million pounds and South Yorkshire took the government to court um, to the Supreme Court and that decision was made earlier this week on a knife edge actually it was a very a very um, slim majority it um, four against three um, to actually maintain that cut even though they said it was inappropriate and a badly made decision and on a point of law it was legal 
Um, but what that does is it feeds through into the, money, the amount of money that's available for the third sector. So um, a lot of the, well, a significant proportion of the money that is available through um, for social enterprises in the region it comes through European funding. And with a, a 175 million pound cut to the money, um, clearly there are going to be significant cutbacks in what we can do, um, and that's a real problem. So it's both about the framework that's in place, and I think we could have a better framework under a Labour government. But it's also about the amount of money that's available for those enterprises to support them in the work they do as well. Okay, thank you. You're listening to Business Live on Sheffield Live. We're broadcasting on 93.2 FM and from sheffieldlive.org across Sheffield and the world. My guest at the moment is Oliver Coppard. And uh, Oliver is uh, being interviewed. Oliver is standing as a Labour Party candidate in the Sheffield Hallam constituency. The interview is third of a series of interviews we've been doing with prospective members of Parliament looking at the person behind the politics and asking about uh, what policies a number of prospective MPs would like to see happen to support businesses and social enterprises too. Oliver, we've heard quite a lot about your your journey from education, your your career and uh, and, and your, your, your work in the Dern Valley and your work before that too. Um, as we go into the last couple of minutes of the interview, I'd, I'd, I'd like to tell you to tell us about what made you choose to go into politics. Why, why, why have you chosen to, uh, to pursue a political? Um, so this is the first time I've stood yeah. for Parliament, yeah. and um, it's, it's no coincidence that I'm standing here in Sheffield Hallam. Sheffield Hallam is my home, it's my community, it's where I'm from, as I've said, um, born and raised, and I'm very proud um, to be in the running to be the next MP for Sheffield Hallam. I, um, very proud indeed, actually. And um, so there, there's two sides to that question. I think, you know, the one question, why am I stand, standing in Sheffield Hallam? Well, because I want to, to be the MP for the place that I um, call home. Um, but the other side of that question is, why did I get involved in politics in the first place, uh, particularly if you look at some of the news coverage over the last few, uh, few not just weeks, I suppose, but years, um, it is maybe a difficult, uh, a difficult and not always um, a universally admired profession. Um, but I think politics is a force for good. Um, and I think uh, I think most MPs um, do an incredible job at supporting their local communities, and making the world a better place. And you know that's at the risk of sounding slightly trite. That is why I want to be involved in politics because I want things to be better. Um, I want Sheffield to get more investment, more funding, to be more prosperous, a more compassionate place to live, and mm-hmm. um, certainly a greener and more sustainable place to live. Um, I want people from more disadvantaged communities to have the best life chances and opportunities they can um, and I couldn't really sit on the sidelines and watch as this government and particularly our local MP in Sheffield Hallam currently in you know the place that I call home was doing so much damage to the city that I love but also to the things um, and the priorities that I think are so important to the type of country I want to live in. Okay thank you and we hear a lot about people going into politics for all the right reasons, whatever political persuasion they they have, because they want to make a positive difference for communities and they will have different, you know, different parties have different views on how to do that. But we hear a lot about people doing it for, for positive reasons. And obviously I appreciate... You're not a politician. You're, you're, you're not an elected MP at the moment. Um, but politics does have a lot to do, doesn't it, in terms of winning back trust in light of recent announcements, you know, that we've heard this week with uh, um, the, uh, the Telegraph's sting on um, Sir Malcolm Rifkind and Jack Straw. And 
uh, previous expenses claims. I mean, how should, how could, how will politics win back trust from ordinary people? Um, okay, so I think the first thing to say is that the behaviour that we've seen over the last um, few days and weeks, um, particularly with Jack Straw and Malcolm Rifkind, although I do think they're slightly different cases, but um, but but with those two in particular, um, has been frankly shocking. Um, the idea that MPs would have second jobs, paying them you know significant sums of money that would take them away from the work that they do um, in their constituencies, but also potentially provide a conflict of interest between the work that they're supposed to be doing on behalf of the people that elected them um, and the companies, the businesses often that are employing them, um, is is a worrying idea. Um, I've personally committed to taking no second job should I be the MP for Sheffield Hallam. I will only be the MP for Sheffield Hallam. Um, and I think that's the right approach. And um, all the Labour people that I've spoken to, certainly candidates, have, uh, have committed to the same thing. Ed Miliband uh, called a vote in the House of Commons um, just the other day, uh, saying that the Labour Party was pushing for no directorships and no um, consultant roles for MPs. Um, unfortunately, the government didn't back that reform. Um, nor did Nick Clegg. Um, uh, but I've also said some other things, and I think it is about personal leadership, um, and it is about MPs taking responsibility for rebuilding trust in their own community. So I've said I've, I've published a contract with Sheffield Hallam, um, so-called. I published that, I think, probably a year ago, over a year ago now, um, so before this recent scandal broke, but clearly there have been any number of examples where MPs have let down the trust of the people that voted for them. And I've said um, I will have no second job. Um, I will put in place an annual audit of my parliamentary expenses. So both um, every year I will have an, an audit which allows people to come to a meeting Meeting and say if I've spent the money in the right way over the past year and agree whether I'm going to spend that money in the right way going forward for the next 12 months. I've said that I will put in place living wage internships in my office so that local people can get involved in politics. Um, I've said that the community will have control over the staffing in my office so that they know that the people who are working on their behalf um, are there for the best reasons, not simply because I happen to know them or they're my sort of cousin's postman's brother. Um, I think I've also, well, one of the most important things I think that I've said about that contract is I will put in place right of recall and I will do that independently. So right of recall is a process whereby if at any point 20% of the people who live in Sheffield Hallam sign a petition within 90 days saying I've done something wrong, whatever that may be, um, I will resign, I will force a by-election and I will let ha the community have a say as to whether or not they want me to stay on as their MP and that gives people I think the confidence um, that I am always going to be working on their behalf and if at any point they think I am not, they can get rid of me. Uh, now that's something that Nick Clegg and this government said they would put in place they put in place an incredibly weak version of that reform um, one that has been called any number of, of names actually that reform uh, by people who want real recall in place. The Labour Party is committed to real recall but even if the Labour government if the Labour Party does not form the next government and I think we will but even if we don't um, and I'm the MP for Sheffield Hallam I will put that reform in place because I think people in Sheffield Hallam in particular given the problems that we've had with tuition fees, forge masters council funding cuts and everything else um, are incredibly let down by their local MP. Okay so clear ideas from Oliver Coppard there in terms of trust in politics before we uh, wind up I just want to uh, ask and I'm going to have to ask you to keep it brief to less than 30 seconds having worked in business having worked in social enterprise um, what advice would you give to people who listen to this program who are running businesses um, in terms of or running a social enterprise in terms of um, learn, learning that you've had um, 
key advice, things that you know now that you wish you'd, you'd known? You know, thinking back, thinking to the Dern Valley project and the social enterprise there, any key advice? Um, yeah, I would say certainly um, look to others for their experience. So learn from others. Uh, don't make the same mistakes twice. Um, if you can learn from others' mistakes, then certainly go and do that and, and speak to as many people as you can in the local area who've had who've had relevant experience. But also, actually, um, maybe most importantly, you either believe you can or you, you believe you can't, and either way, you're probably right. Um, so be positive and uh, and keep going. Oliver Cobbard, standing as a Labour Party candidate in the Sheffield Hallam constituency. Thank you very much for joining me today. We're going to play a track of music which you've chosen, Oliver. It's a Joe Cocker track with a little help from my friends, and we'll play that now. <laughs> 